Friday on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning this morning. The Stanley Cup playoffs resume tonight with Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals as the Carolina Hurricanes host the Florida Panthers at 8 p.m. Eastern on CBC, Sportsnet, and Sportsnet Now. Uh, what's your, you know, you were kind of like up and down on it. You're getting a little excited now that we're here, Gunner. They're still playing hockey games. No, of course I'm excited. I'm just so bogged down in Leafs land. Like until I see the white of puff smoke coming out of Scotiabank or the Ford Performance Center. Uh, yeah, a little distracted, but of course, of course, fired up for uh, for some conference finals starting tonight. Okay, we'll talk about the final four. We'll talk about what's happening in Leafs land with our next guest, Jason Bukla, former Panthers director of amateur scouting and our current Sportsnet analyst. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, fellas. How are you this morning? Uh, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. You proud of your Panthers? I mean, I'm, I'm happy for the franchise. I mean, it's it's one of those mixed type of uh, feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I mean, uh, mostly I'm 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 happy for the. Uh, listen, it's they they get knocked around a little bit down there in terms of attendance and you know different things but it's it's good for the league believe it or not that uh that the team is uh is, has made it this far and it'll uh, hopefully uh, spike attendance going forward uh which is good for the bottom line most certainly good time to be in Miami or the adjacent area with the Heat and the Panthers going on long playoff runs here. Uh, let's circle back on the Panthers in a bit, but I want to start uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs and more specifically Kyle Dubas and the decision looming. Um, we'll ask you about Kyle, but like what's happening right now? Because we're, t- we're 43 days from July 1, a lot of decisions to be made even before then. What's happening at the more micro levels of hockey operations right now? Is everyone like at a standstill waiting for this uh, or, or people being able to do their jobs and make decisions and actually build for, you know, what's to come here with the uncertainty surrounding the general manager? You can't stand still. You can't afford to do that. I mean, I know it's been one of those weeks where, you know, there's a lot of um, uncertainty, as you say, but at the same token, you know, you have to keep plowing forward for, in hockey operations because it's there's just too many timely decisions, too much going on here on the in the short term. So, I would I would imagine that um, you know they're they're carrying on with their uh, postseason preparation. Uh, I'm coming out with something today on Sportsnet. It's going to be a long read for people, but it is the deep dive into what happens at the end of the year because I'm like you guys and I'm like you know a fan of the game as well and. You know, you start throwing darts uh, at the wall, and you're you're like, "What's going on here this week? What's happening?" And but guys, listen, they're going through their entire roster right now. Um, you know, going through the core pieces to retain. Core pieces will take offers on, and then you know, classifying different uh, sections of the roster as secondary and and depth, and you know, restricted guys that we want to qualify. Uh, you know, RFA guys that will let walk. Same on the unrestricted side. There's a lot of work going on right now. A lot of reaching out to agents. Agents want to know, obviously, who the general manager is going to be to make a decision on the UFA side. But uh, listen, they got to get their ducks in an order because uh, what are we? Less than six weeks to the draft, or around that time, and and it's it just sneaks up on you too quickly. Yeah, obviously the draft will be a big inflection point for a lot of franchises, but very possible uh, for the Leafs. Fan Morning Show, Brent Gutting, Justin Cuthbert here talking to Jason Bukala. You know, uh, the thing of a lot of people, there's been a lot of consternation in the market, and I certainly understand it about not having a general manager in place. You know, as you said, if you could have your GM yesterday, that would be the best case scenario. You would love to know, you'd love to have certainty so you could move forward. But do you think there's kind of a hard 
drop dead date? Like, obviously, things are gummed up a little in Toronto by the fact that their preferred candidate has not made a decision. Maybe there's negotiations happening right now. But do you think they need to have a kind of hard stop? And is it as soon as maybe Monday or the middle of next week or whatever it is for when they need to have a GM in place? Because like you said, you know, every every team is busy at this time of year, but the Leafs might have a, a bigger offseason than most. The good news is that their their front office is flush with a lot of quality people. So they're they're surrounded. The organization is in, behind the scenes. They're surrounded in a lot of pockets with a lot of um, quality individuals who can who can get organized, run these types of meetings. Uh, you know, Dave Morrison, the director of player personnel, has been there a long time, so he could definitely handle the uh, the pro and the amateur getting organized. But but honestly, guys, absolutely. Like yesterday, to be honest with you, selfishly, um, you know they need they needed this to be kind of uh, organized and ready to go at the beginning of the week. Ideally, you know now we've lost how many days since the uh, exits? We're already on Friday, so that was Monday, right? And I mean they can't go another week. You know I would suggest they can't get through the weekend without some sort of a decision here and, and a direction because. You know, uh, it's just, uh, it's way too dicey. And, and there's some candidates out there as well that are being interviewed uh, at other locations if you decide to go down that road uh, with an outside candidate. So let's say Dubas decides over the weekend that he doesn't, uh, that he can't do the job and uh, they've got to look elsewhere. Um, let's say it takes, you know, a week to get someone. And I think that's fast tracking things a little bit. When that person comes into place, and then again, that will be with, you know, five weeks maybe left before July one, like does it descend the entire organization into chaos? Like with all the decisions that you have to make, can you have a new leader guiding an old uh, roster of hockey operations staff and personnel? Uh, You you can, it's not ideal. Uh, That leader, when he comes in, um, he might bring a Lieutenant with him uh, to sit back and observe the room over the next uh, period of time, they on the pro side, it's it, it's double sided here. So on the pro side, um, anybody that they would bring in, if that was the case, um, they'll be very familiar with the, the roster and what's going on in the organization. Like they would have already done all that type of homework. So on the pro side, they'll already sort of have a plan, a blueprint, if you will. On the amateur side, um, I don't think that anybody would would come in and really ruffle any feathers. They would more sit back and observe. And, um, you know, let it play out. The, the, the good news, bad news there is that they don't have a ton of picks. Um, so, you know, that's kind of bad news in a, in a deep draft. Um, but here's the other thing. They might have to trade a core piece or two um, out before their July 1st, uh, you know, contractual obligation or the, the contracts change to no trades in, in July, which might bring back draft picks as well. So, um, from that perspective, strategically, I think that they would they would hit the ground running. But in, in the room on the amateur side, they would more observe and trust what they have for now. So, you know, something I'm, I'm wondering, thinking about there is we've we've always heard the the thing that one of the hardest things to do in, in sports is to go from being an assistant coach on the team you're currently on to the head coach. You have one role there. You know, maybe you're the guy who tells them, ah, it's not so bad. Maybe you kind of polish the message a little and then you're the tyrant. You're the head coach. You're the you're the chief guy. What is the dynamic? And I don't know if you've worked in this situation or not, but 
when that happens internally within a front office. Like Brendan Pridham is a guy who has been, or the Calgary Flames have had interest in at the very least. Let's just say, and I'm just spitballing here. This is not me reporting. This is just me talking through a scenario. But if it is, okay, Kyle Dubas can't do this and the Leafs decide there's an internal candidate that makes the most sense. Like what are the dynamics like in the front office when that happens? We always hear about it on the bench and the way players react to that. Obviously, it's a different dynamic working in a front office. How do you think that would that would kind of shake things out versus it being a completely new voice from the outside? It's exactly what I went through in Florida, to be honest. Oh, when, uh, when, when, Dale Talon, yeah, when Dale Talon uh, was uh, relieved of his duties, um, the rest of our staff was still in place. And we had a leg in there, um, call it, I can't remember, I'm, you know, off the top of my head, call it three weeks between the time that, that Dale was let go and Bill Zito came in. Um, it's a very uneasy time for everybody. Uh, Eric Joyce, who was ended up being with the Leafs for a period of time, uh, was our assistant GM, and, and he's, he took a step forward and started leading the group in terms of um, uh, the structure and the, and the meetings and, you know, um, trying to establish uh, his voice, to be honest with you. Um, it was mostly comfortable. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deny it. I mean, we have worked together for a long time. You know, it was it was status quo. The one thing that that becomes uneasy is the longer that that scenario goes, you get the feeling that that guy isn't going to be the GM. So now it's just like a stopgap, and you're you're a little bit on pins and needles as a staff. Who's the next guy coming in? And in our situation, um, and it was really not ideal because we were in the middle of a pandemic, and you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on, but. In our situation, you know, uh, Zito came in and then ended up, um, you know, moving out the majority of our staff uh, um, and bringing in his own, which tells you something, right? They had reached out to him. They had conducted all the interviews. He had the time to put together a staff, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you got to be a pro, guys. Like, you don't climb the mountain to to get to this level in any capacity without the recognition that uh, someday good things are going to come to an end. And uh, you got to keep plowing forward, but it's uh, it's not ideal. I would I'd, I'd be lying to you if I told you that it's the most comfortable situation. So, Jason, everyone has their perspectives of why the Shanna plan has failed, why the Dubas era has underwhelmed. Um, for you, when looking at draft and development, like how much of a contributing factor has that area of hockey operations been when explaining why this team has not been able to push through or have at least a tasteful result to end the season? So um, here's here's my biggest concern with with the entire dynamic of the organization, and I'm not just talking about the NHL roster. I'm talking about um, guys that are on the come seat too. So you know, uh, on Monday, Kyle mentioned you know Robertson's name came back up, and Nemeleh's name came up, and Bobby McMahon, etc. When when we start to look at their their the depth of the organization, um, and you look at asset management, your assets have to be attractive to, to teams on the outside, right? And the and vice versa. But the reality is that Toronto has had a plan in place for a period of time uh, to draft and develop a certain pedigree of player, a certain type of player for the most part. Matthew Nyes being the outlier. Um, so. I can tell you for certain that not all teams are attracted to those types of players. Like, you know, you have to have something that somebody else wants. And uh, like, if you were to put Robertson on the wire, if healthy right now, there might be a taker, but it's going to be a buy low taker. Mm -hmm. So uh, when Kyle comes out and says that, you know, we still got plans for Robertson, that's nice to hear on a personal level, but I'm not buying the stock if I'm on the other end. So, um, 
draft and develop is uh, they're in a real quandary here, fellas. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Like it's there's not enough coming in the pipeline that I call grade A prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, they got all kinds of UFAs, RFAs, etc. Uh, there's a ton of work to be done here. A ton of work. And yet, Jason, like, this is one of the rare times where it's like, yeah, we can definitely pencil in some young guys that came through the system uh, uh, onto next year's lineup with Wall and Nyes and maybe Topi Nimala. Where, where do you stand on Topi Nimala? Are they going to get that? Like, the Nyes thing it was interesting because we have just not seen it, right? We've not seen a guy come up who was drafted and have this impact, and you think, wow, what can he turn into? And wow, look at, look at the impact he's having right now. That's like a foreign thing for the, the Leafs fan base because that just hasn't been a reality over the last few seasons with guys like Nick Robertson failing and other guys being traded out and draft picks being traded out. Wall seems like he might be a guy. Nyes, definitely. Are they going to have a third making an impact next year with Nimala or somebody else? Because it seems like based on how, how many UFAs are there and how much work needs to be done, they're going to need some guys to step up from within. I'm leaning depth guys up front more than I'm leaning Nimala. So I see Bobby McMahon having mm-hmm. a chance. You know, He got a cup of coffee this year. I like Bobby McMahon a lot. I think that uh, he can add an element in the roster. Um, <clears throat> the thing with Nimala, guys, is Okay, he's he's uh, he's he's an under he's not he's not a big body, right? He's a right shot, but he's not a big body. He's a Dubas draft pick on the back end. <laughs> he's uh, so he's yeah, I, I can't even really qualify him as a bumper. He's not shy, but he's not going to be physically imposing. He might surprise us a little bit, but he's an area defender. He's really smart, um, but defensemen need time, like. You know, uh, Dale Talon, you know, once told me, and I believe this, the more I worked in the league, that defensemen need like 200 games before they're really comfortable at this level. And I don't see Nimala being comfortable enough yet to jump into the National Hockey League next year, even to play a bit part. I think he needs time in the American League this season and, uh, and, and you know, get used to the way that we play the game over here. It's, it's a big, like coming from Liga to the National Hockey League is kind of like, Liga falls somewhere between the East Coast League and the American Hockey League. It's not the SHL like in Sweden. So it's a huge leap, especially for a defenseman. I wouldn't be counting on that being an impactful role for Niemla quite yet. Yeah, the the interesting thing with the Leafs, and you know, I think that uh, obviously a part of this is the difficulty or you know the the challenge of winning and developing at the same time. But you look at players, and the the guy, you know, a guy like Sean Dursey that they've traded away. Now, could he have become that here? It's one of the great unquestions. But do you think it is more of a drafting issue? And like you said, there's definitely a philosophical bent there, and and there's something to that. But is it also a development issue? Because I mean, you have a guy like Carl Grundstrom and Sean Jersey, and again, I think a big part of that was just opportunity. They weren't going to have that here, and they did have that in L.A., but do you also look at it as a bit of a player development issue and not just strictly picking the wrong guys? No, I think that they have some real good quality people in place uh, on the player development side. I think that I think the infrastructure is fine when the player arrives in the organization to maximize their ability. I don't think that's an issue at all. I think I think they're, they're in a good position that way. Um, you know, I, again... I just keep coming back to the the fact that you know too much of the same style of player yeah. um, isn't isn't a great thing. So you're going to eventually hit on one though. Like if you if you draft three or four of the same, you right. know, let's hope that, that one of them are going to turn out. But um, it's not a draft and develop; it's a philosoph- philosophical uh, scenario.
Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, and then this this is the guy that jumped out, and maybe it's just because they're both uh, they're both Nordic, and I'm doing the easy Leaf prospect to former Leaf comp. <laughs> but hearing you say the guy who wants to be physical but maybe doesn't have the body for it, I immediately go to Sandine. Do you see a kind of similarity, not in their overall games, but just in the way they kind of handle themselves physically and their stature on the ice? That was where my mind went. But feel free to tell me if I'm totally off base there uh, with the Nimala to Sandine comp. No, I think that's a really good comp. Uh, and, and the thing with Sandine is he evolved recently. I mean, before he got dealt to Washington, believe it or not. Did you check he, he threw at the Worlds, Jason? He, yeah, <laughs> he should, hey, I love an old school hip check. That's like, uh, you know, I grew up in the 80s, so that was awesome. But uh, <laughs> uh, he, he that's a re- really good comparable. And Sandine, um, you know, to be fair to him, even before he got dealt, uh, he was the he was leading the Leafs on the back end in the, in body checks. So um, now those aren't the most punishing things. They're not going to necessarily wear down an opponent, but good on him to show up and get it done. So I'm uh, I would expect even less than that from Nimala to start, and uh, we'll see where it goes. But that's a good comparable. That paints a that paints a decent picture. Okay, Jason, let's look at the final four here. Dallas, Vegas, Carolina, Florida. When you look at those four teams, do you see a common thread? Well, I, let's start with the West real quick. Um, I found, uh, and I don't know if you guys saw felt this as well, but when I'm bre- watching the games in the West and breaking them down, the games are fast at this time of year, but especially the Seattle series um, uh, with Dallas, I, it was a like a surprising track meet for me. Like I couldn't believe how fast they were going up and down the ice. Like I really was impressed by uh, certainly Seattle and where they came from last year to this year. Um, the the one thing that I'm going to say about the the Vegas versus Dallas is a lot of uh, kind of you know storylines there. Peter DeBoer, for example, um, it's going to come down to goaltending and what what version of Jake Ottinger are we going to get in the front in this uh, conference final? He's a he's an excellent goaltender. I'm not sold still on what Vegas has got going on between the pipes, but it's worked so far. Um, you know, common threads, not sure. You know, you get to this this stage. I think Vegas can play heavy, heavy hard a little bit more than uh, than Dallas. But on, on the Eastern Conference side, I mean, you got the Cinderella story, obviously, in Florida. The, the, the interesting thing here is that um, – Carolina are relentless, right? So, you know, I don't know, like you could say Boston, but they were hurting. Um, obviously Toronto was the series that it was, but Florida's relentless. Carolina's relentless. Uh, they're going to ride Bob Rofsky. I'm not uh, being around Bob. As long as I was around Bob, this layoff might not be good for him. So, um, you know, he can kind of wander sometimes uh, with his consistency. I'm trying to be delicate, and um, and this might not be good. But uh, I, I love the relentless approach from the East. I think Carolina's uh, uh, just got a little bit too much on the back end. Their back end's elite. We uh, we kept waiting for for that extra day off to to hurt him in that series against the Leafs. He had never uh, never came to fruition. So who knows? Maybe uh, maybe it does catch up with them in the conference final. Uh, one guy I want to ask you about is just Jack Eichel. Obviously, he's had such an odd start to his NHL career with everything that happened in Buffalo. Now he's finally you know finally hitting his stride there there in Vegas. Just what have you seen out of him? Because you know no one forgets what he is as a player, second overall pick, all that. But I do think he is until this postseason been a bit of a forgotten man uh, in, in the NHL. What have you seen out of Eichel? game i think that's a fair statement and and he's had to kind of reinvent himself a little bit out there the uh you know the expectation was for him to do so so you know instead of being that uh 
that whirling dervish, that running gun guy all the time and cutting corners, he's actually uh, turned into uh, a pretty mostly responsible three-zone player. Uh, average plus on the defensive side is good enough from a guy like Eichel. Uh, you know, he's plus 26 this year, guys, and he was just the point of game. Um, only six pims, you know, he's he's not going to wear you down physically or anything like that, but um, I like how his game is rounded into form. It is interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, if you look at Carolina, the guys like Ajo, um, you know, if you Vegas, guys like Eichel, these aren't like 100-point guys, but, but they're playing with good detail, good compete at this time of year, and it's made a difference. So Eichel's evolved. He's always been a bit of an enigma for me. You know, his body language kind of rubs me the wrong way on any given night, but uh, mostly been uh, been a real good competitor here for the entire season. So he's a different player than what you saw in Buffalo. Among the teams uh, left, Jason, which one do you think's best? I am going with the Dallas Stars. Mm. Yeah, I'm going on a limb. I think Dallas, uh, you know, I'm not so sure on Freddie in that. Uh, I don't know about – a lot of it comes down to goaltending for me yeah. right now because you're, you're splitting hairs. <laughs> so I'm not so sure on Freddie in that. Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely not sold in Vegas in that. We'll see. Um, and then Bob, uh, question mark. So I'm going with Ottinger. I've seen him steal. Remember last year in Calgary, that series? And we, so this guy good. can literally steal a series, right? So – I'm uh, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of Dallas. Yeah, the Stars are an interesting case, right? Like, I, I don't think you could look at Jamie Benn or Tyler Sagan's contracts and be like, wow, value, 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 value. What a core. Don't what think a, what, so. What, like, but they've done a really, really nice job, and Jim Nill's done a really, really nice job getting young talent, veteran talent, just the supporting cast. Like, it's a very deep team, and Jake Ottinger may be the guy that puts him over the top. Uh, is Nill, like, underrated in the NHL landscape or, I guess, properly rated if you're talking to the right people? They've had continuity in the organization. Jim Nill is an outstanding executive. He took his Detroit, his model from Detroit when he was there with Kenny Holland. He brought it to Dallas. He brought Joe McDonnell and some of the uh, scouting staff from Detroit to Dallas. And for my money, that's, that's the most consistent scouting staff, one of the most consistent uh, scouting staffs in the entire league. Um, and they do it their way, and it works. And, and you know, when you add a Wyatt Johnson to the uh, to the mix, uh, the Jason Robertsons, you know, these types of guys, you know, even picking up Mason Marchman, who didn't score as much this year as he did last year, but, you know, again, that heavy, hard uh, presence tied to Landria. I'm just thinking these young guys they have off the off top of my head in their lineup, and, man, did they ever compliment. They, those young guys, that layer of young guys, actually elevated the veteran guys. So, Ben had a better year. Pavelski is what he is. Um, but imagine if you had uh, two Matthew Nyes and, uh, and, well, let's just go out on a limb and say you had three Matthew Nyes that had come through the Leaf system, how other guys' warts wouldn't shine through quite as much. They could elevate other people, and that's what's happened in Dallas. So you're telling us that it, Don't tease it, me it, like it, that, Jason. It pays to spend draft picks and put them in your lineup? Uh it's it's wise to draft and develop your own quality talent is what I'm telling you. Okay. To supplement to supplement your core. You okay. need to uh, you need to add those guys to your lineup to uh, to take the next step. Even cores that might be considered lesser than can be assisted by the help of draft and development. Uh, Jason, that's why you're so valuable, buddy. We appreciate you coming on this morning, soaking up the 7 a.m. hour excuse me for us. Uh, we appreciate the insight all season long and definitely this morning. Yeah, no problem, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me on. That's Jason Bukla.
uh, former Panthers director of amateur scouting and current sports analyst. I got to say, uh, you know, that I, I hit that one out of the park. My first time talking to Bukula, I gave him a player comp he liked, and I referenced the <laughs> 80s hip check. So I, I, you were saying... Don't throw your back out, buddy. You were saying, well, I'm, I'm not... I don't have as exciting a life as Dustin Johnson. I, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think I'll be throwing my back out anytime soon. Uh, but, touche. Uh, that, that was your, that, despite what you did in the interview, that was your finest moment. Okay. All right. All right. So far, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what I can gin up uh, when Fridge comes on at, at 830 or Adam Stanley uh, coming up right around the corner. That was awesome. I really, really enjoyed him. I know he's your guy. You guys have him on all the time. My first time talking to him. And I worm my way in. I think I'm part of the fraternity there. And I do love the answer because, and I'm not knocking him. I would have given the exact same one. And uh, he has just a bit of a better resume than me. Uh, there's four good, well, okay. There's three and a half good hockey teams left. Whether the jury's still out on the Florida Panthers, despite them beating the Leafs. Who's the best goalie? Jake Ottinger? Is mm. it by kind of a country mile? If Bobrovsky is going to come back to earth, it probably is. I think I would do exactly what he's doing. Uh, Ottinger's far and away the guy you have the most faith in. Uh, Books is the best. If he if he was like a little bit more mean-spirited, mm. I'd love to hear him just bury certain situations, I, well, I but actually, he's, he's I, not that guy. Well, no, I think I think he is. I think he's just, just playing nice. Yeah, why, why don't you, uh, you know, you, you love to golf. You got to summer ahead of you. I think I think you get him away from this and maybe uh, maybe there's a mm. touch more there I, I might even say. Uh, let's get to uh, something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum yum yum. So I ask you Gunner here mm. in something to chew on. Uh, what's the bar when the assignment in media in sports media requires cross-continent travel? Is it like multi-platform coverage of a major sporting oh, event. Okay, okay, I was I saw this written on the lineup and I have to be honest, I've never been more confused in my life. Now I understand. What Is you it mean. 2 minutes even of like a high profile <laughs> interview? Like what's the bar to you? What 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 would be worth going cross continent? Uh I think you'd want like a sit down interview with someone of extreme note. Like if if Tom Brady was holed hmm? up in a Greek castle cuz that feels like something he would do. I don't even know if they have castles over there. He would have one commissioned. I, I he has it in him. <laughs> then you would do that, but uh I don't I let me put it this way. It's a high bar. It's not for nothing. Well, a person of note is who Brian Windhorst caught up with in Paris uh, after the San Antonio Spurs won the draft lottery. He had 70 seconds with Victor Wembayama, and it is was that, worth... Is that 10 seconds for every foot tall he is? Is that <laughs> how they did the math? That's exa actually exactly what it is. Uh, 10 point, uh, maybe a little less than 10. Anyway, we're not doing math on the show. No. He got the interview, and he got the quote. I'll give him credit. Like, ESPN sent Windhorst over, Windy. and he had 70 seconds, and he got the quote. He got Victor Wembayama to say, I want to win a ring ASAP, so be ready. That is a great quote. But maybe the – like, could that have been done over Zoom? Can we just talk about how the absolute media rise from Windy? Like, this guy has put in the work – Think about where we all remember him from. He was the LeBron chronicler from Akron to Paris, winning at life, Brian Windhorst. He might be the, and not to diminish him as a media personality, because clearly he's doing a lot of good things. He's like the meme king now, too. And he's he's making good. a lot of good faces on TV. I like that. He's one of the few people you put on one of those shows that's generally not worth watching that is actually worth watching. Windhorst is pretty good, but he is, you're right, the ultimate right place, right time guy. You were around when LeBron was coming up. <laughs> And then you just follow LeBron <laughs> around, and now you're going to follow Victor Wembayama around because you are proof that you can do that exact job by following around a phenom for a long stretch of time. LeBron to Victor Wembayama, pretty good deal for Brian Winters. That would be an exceptional one-two punch if he uh, if he could follow it up. I like it. Uh, what but, if he's looking for places well, in San Antonio? Like all like all things in the world, uh, and I don't know the answer to this, but if he's represented by Clutch, that's not 
all that far from being true. A very real possibility. PGA Championship is currently under a frost delay. Uh, That's Rochester, I guess, in mid-May for you. Uh, But we are going to tee it up anyway. We have Adam Stanley, our Sportsnet golf writer and analyst, after the break to tee up the 105th PGA Championship. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a frost delay at Oak Hill, the site of the 105th PGA Championship, but we got someone on the ground to tell us how cold it actually is. So, Adam Stanley, how cold is it actually? It's pretty darn cold. Okay. Is it playable today? Playable this no, morning? Well, well, that's a good question. So this morning, yes. So we literally, just before uh, you guys called me, uh, we got a text message saying that the first tea time of the day is going to be 8.50 uh, Eastern time. So it's oh. a delay of one hour and 50 minutes, wow. five zero minutes. So a serious yeah, delay. Pretty, it's a serious delay. And I think the reason is um, it's, it's not like windy. It's sunny out right now, but like the frost – Super thick overnight, went down to, I think, about minus five or six um, with the wind chill, and then it's just kind of just been sitting there this morning. And this rough is very thick. Uh, the grass is extremely just dense, and, and the frost is just not going anywhere. So, yeah, about a two-hour delay this morning, and then we'll be off to the races after that. Yeah, I saw I saw Derek Ingram, uh, one of the national team team coaches. He he sent out a picture, and it looks like a skating rink. Like I'm not exaggerating. The frosted actually, I take that back. It looks like the grass uh, dyed its hair in 2002. A lot of frosted tips out there is is uh, is what I'm seeing. And also, I'm happy to get a weather report from you because if I got to hear one more guy from Florida tell me it's cool when it's 12 degrees Celsius outside, I can't. So you telling yeah. me it's cold, the hoser check in. Uh, I'm I'm very much uh, here for it. Obviously, you know a delay like this is going to affect things uh, just getting like the business of it out of the way. I imagine with this being on the first day, you know, the weather, it's going to get a little warmer, I think, but I don't know that it's going to creep up. Is there any concern about squeezing this whole thing in? Like if we have 8.50 start times for the next two days, uh, that could certainly get hairy into the weekend. Obviously, a weekend a little easier after a cut, way less golfers to deal with, but any concern about a couple of frost days in a row kind of gumming things up here? No, the, the good news is that uh, they're definitely 100% not going to get today's first round completed today. Uh, but uh, tomorrow is supposed to be like 27 or something like that. So we are going on total opposite ends of the spectrum uh, with respect to the weather uh, out here. So, yeah, after after tomorrow, they'll be fully caught up, and then into the weekend should be all right. Uh, the threat of rain on Saturday, but it um, doesn't look like there's going to be any actual further Further delays uh, after this morning, which is good, and um, yeah, a little bit of a little bit hairy of a start uh, this morning, and we'll have to see how things go in it tomorrow. But um, yeah, shouldn't be shouldn't be any issues after tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see uh, Fan Morning Show, Brent Gutting, Justin Cuthbert, joined by golf content beast Adam Stanley, who is on scene at uh, at Oak Hills uh, for the PGA Championship. Uh, let's just get the question out of the way. He's he's well, he's our guy, but I'll say he's my guy, Rory. What do we expect <laughs> this week? He is the ultimate boomer bus golfer. If he, I, I do not have faith that if he goes John Rahm and doubles one, that he's going to come back and, and win the major. But uh, I'm not saying he can't double one. What are we expecting for our guy this week? He's talked about uh, the kind kind of toll the last year and changes has uh, taken on him. He honestly has sounded like Kyle Dubas with some of those quotes, Stanley. Yeah. Uh, what do we make uh, out of Rory this week? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good comparison because, I mean, you look at Kyle Dubas and, and you think about how 
you know, good the Toronto Maple Leafs have played during the regular season, and then obviously they've had their their playoff problems. Uh, I guess that's putting it lightly, but Rory <laughs> has been able to hold on to uh, you know the weight of the PGA Tour on his shoulders. He's been driving you know the tour forward, <clears throat> and at the same time, last year he won three times and won the FedEx Cup. So you know he's doing all the right things. And then all of a sudden, you know, this year, uh, missed the cut of the players, missed the cut of the masters was a non-factor at quail. Uh, the other week, a golf course that he's won three times on skipped the RBC heritage, forfeited $3 million uh, by just saying, Hey, I, I need to be at home. I need to hang out. I, I need to kind of mentally reset. Even this week, you know, his wife is from here. His wife's from Rochester. He's a, uh, he's an honorary member of Oak Hill. And you would think that he'd be, you know, a little bit more zippy. And he's just, he's just not, it, it, there seems to be something off with him. Uh, he has, I don't think he's quite, you know, found sort of that, that mental thing that mental key that he needs. Even yesterday, you know, it's, it's Wednesday afternoon, the day prior to the first round of a major it's sunny. It was finally nice out and he's trying to sneak in nine holes late afternoon. And yet, you know, Josh Allen's there with him. Uh, Vaughn Miller's there with him. The PGA <laughs> has cameras in front of him. The PGA Tour's got cameras with him. The Buffalo Bills have cameras with him. Like, it's just, he just hasn't had the opportunity to be, you know, the golf guy that we need. It, we, as in like you and I, because he's our boy. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> he hasn't really been the, the golf person, the golfer. Rory McIlroy, the golfer, hasn't kind of had the opportunity to be that over the last little while, certainly not this week. And, and you know, the game is better when, when Rory's playing really, really well. And, and honestly, this week, I, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's got it. He could prove me totally wrong, but um, you know, all signs are kind of pointing to him having another tough one, unfortunately. Yeah. My question on Rory wasn't going to be like, can he win this thing? It would, it was going to be, is he good? Like, I, it just seems like the questions were, or the answers were getting out of him and the general vibe is yeah. off with Rory. And that is concerning. Uh, they seemed a bit ominous. Uh, so let alone, you know, or putting aside who, if he can win, it just seems like, you know, playing some good golf and getting his season back uh, on track is definitely uh, paramount for this guy at this moment. So maybe he can win, but uh, I want to yeah. ask you, like, what type of golfer can win? Because we've been hearing that it's going to play like a U.S. Open. So, you know, the, we see the odds board. It's pretty heavily front loaded with the favorites. Like, how many players do you think can realistically win this thing? Honestly, like probably 10. And, and I don't think that that's – it's just because U.S. Open setups – which is what this is. Like, let's not, let's not, no bones about it. You know, you ask any of these guys on site. I talked to all the Canadians yesterday. They were all kind of saying the same thing. You know, even some of the, the, the big, the big guys in their pressers were saying, you know, this is kind of a combo PJ championship, us open setup. You know, there's, there's not really much difference between what we're seeing this week at Oak Hill and a us open setup week in week out. So what does that mean? You got to have someone who hits it far someone who hits it straight, someone who's not going to miss a lot of greens, and someone who's going to be a good long-distance putter. You're going to have a lot of 12 or 15-footers for par. You're going to have a lot of 30-footers uh, for birdie. Maybe you're going to make two or three of those. Um, so somebody who, who you know excels at big, brawny, beastly golf courses uh, is going to play well this week. So that means... You know, your John Rahm, your Scotty Scheffler, your Brooks Kepka, your Dustin Johnson, um, you know, Rory, if, if he can get over the mental hurdles, should be right there as well. Um, you know, someone like Xander Shoffley as well could be in the mix. Um, but then you're starting to go down the list and you're thinking, you know, if you haven't quite been in the mix at a major, are you going to have what it takes on this kind of golf course 
with this kind of difficult setup to actually take it across the finish line. And that leaves, you know, 10, maybe 15 guys to actually do it. Yeah, I I, you know, I want to be very clear. I'm not throwing this guy into the mix of those guys you're, you're mentioning there because he's just been, quite frankly, lost in the wilderness. But when I think of big burly golfers, there's exactly one name that comes to mind. He used to wear a dumb hat. He no longer does, and it's Bryson DeChambeau. Is the game <laughs> of golf better or worse that he's gone away effectively? I mean, I know he hasn't, but with Liv, I mean, look, he's a non-entity, Stanley. We see him show up at the majors. It goes how it goes. And I can make the case that the game is better off because we just talk about guys who play and it's not the sideshow of these fake kind of like wrestling feuds that him and Kepka had going on. But as much as I roll my eyes at everything, I loved rolling my eyes at it because golf needs characters. (laughs) Like, is the game of golf better or worse off that he has kind of been off to the side it almost feels kind of since winning back at Wingfoot in the pandemic, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say you know, golf is certainly not you know any any worse that you know uh, Bryson DeChambeau is not in the conversation week in and week out, and, and I don't like golf. Not better for him not being around either. I mean, we've we've got we have enough storylines, uh, characters, uh, big moments, as elevated events, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we don't we as you know, kind of the golfing collective don't really need a Bryson DeChambeau story. And, you know, you, you kind of look at him now and, and he's just a fraction of his previous self. You know, he tried, tried the big bulk up and work. Uh, you know, he's back down looking like a quote, normal sized professional athlete. Now, um, you know, the, the single length iron thing, I think he's still doing it, but you know, that's long in the rear view. Now that certainly hasn't taken off amongst, uh, you know, the regular folk. And, I, I can um, confirm our, our buddy, Sam McKee, uh, he's striping it with single length iron. So I can it, confirm that much. Well, we got one. Okay. There, there's one <laughs> they, Bryson, the influencer. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think the, I think the game of golf has enough, excitable storylines that it doesn't need Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, In terms of, and I I think you just, you kind of nailed it, but is there a one best winner for golf this week? Like I can make the case that if Scheffler wins and he's back in the mix and he's closer to the slam, you're feeling good about it. If Rom rips off two straight, all of a sudden we have the tiger slam conversation, even though let's be honest, that's not going to happen. Uh, You know, like it'd be great there. Obviously we've covered Rory. Is it better if Morikawa shows a return to grace? Like if I'm going to ask you just for the game of golf for general interest, you're a guy who's got to talk about it, write stories all week long. Who is the best winner? I'm gonna very. I'm gonna inch very softly towards this answer, <laughs> but I th- the best winner from oh, a, no. a, a storytelling no. perspective has got to be Phil. Oh yeah, you're right. You're you're a thousand percent right. Okay. I thought you were just gonna leave it at live in general, but yeah, you're no. you're right. It is I lefty, you're isn't it? Rory. Well, I, well, okay. The best the best winner for the the global game of golf is Rory. The best winner for the storytelling narrative has mm. got to be Phil. <clears throat> and, and I think those are two, two separate things, you know, who I do think would, you know, kind of combine both of those would love to see a Tony Finau victory this week. I think he's, he's trending, you know, he's kind of done everything that uh, needs to be done other than win a major. Um, is, is that going to move the needle? Uh, probably not. You know, is, is a Phil win going to move the needle beyond sports? Is that going to transcend golf? Absolutely. Um, you know, if, if Rory wins and, and is able to shut all of us up uh, and put all of this noise behind them and say, look guys, I can still do this. Like screw you. Then yeah, that would be absolutely fabulous too. But 
I just I just can't get over it. if if Phil Mickelson ends up winning this major just to think about how many fire hose takes are going to come come out come Sunday night and into Monday morning. That said, Adam, like it seems like the Masters kind of helped the golf world find its center. Like it kind of extinguished a lot of the noise. It seems like it's not uh, as contentious as it was. I feel like people are a little bit more comfortable. We don't have like reports of Phil Mickelson not yep. speaking a word uh, at, at the dinner. Like, it, does it seem like things have kind of just cooled and everything's kind of cool now? Yeah, I think I, I, that was kind of the, the crux of my my story that I did for Sports Night yesterday. Was like the the live guys have have chosen to go play on live. The PGA Tour guys have chosen to stay on the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour has rejigged its schedule. That's what they're doing. Live is still live. There, there's going to be the ongoing drama around the world ranking points and the TV stuff. Actually, just new news this week that Live is stopping its reporting of, of its TV ra- uh, ratings on the CW. I wonder why. I wonder why, exactly. So, I mean, there's still going to be all, all of that. And But the thing is, Live has created its schedule, it's created its purses, it's trying to do its team thing, and, and that's Live. And then on the PGA Tour, there's the PGA Tour. And you know what? You can you can like both. You don't have to like either. Um, you can get excited about the majors because we're going to see you know these guys come together. But you are 100% right. That I think the overarching spicy drama of the back and forth is certainly reduced, if not you know totally minimized these days. Uh, in the Masters, there was a lot. It was the first time that they brought everyone together. Um, but this week, you know, there there really doesn't seem to be as much juice behind behind that. And I think it just kind of I hate to use this turn of phrase, but I think it just is what it is. PGA Tour is this, live is that, life goes on. I mostly agree with that. But do you think, and be it Phil, be it DJ, be it Brooks, do you, or Cam Smith even, I know that would be their dream scenario. Do you think a live guy winning a major would kind of rekindle a bit of that or have live guys kind of puffing their chest out. You know, we heard what Norman said. It's not going to be, I don't know that they've doubled down on it and they're all going to go storm the green uh, at Oak Hills. But (laughs) if that happens, it's not going to be a non-story and the PGA tour is not going to be like, Oh, actually that was really cool. I love that they did that. Like, I do think it's all kind of kumbaya bit right now, but is it as simple (laughs) as a live guy wins a major, which I want to be clear. I don't expect to happen anytime soon. Anything can happen in the game of golf, but is it kind of as simple? as it can all unthaw again with just that one act of a live guy winning? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on who it is. Like, I mean, I think if... Leishman Dustin won't Johnson get it win, going, eh? You don't think? Hey, who? <laughs> a, Mark, a Mark Leishman isn't exactly no, going to spurn not, people that way, yeah. <laughs> no, not quite. You know, it's if, if Dustin Johnson wins, I think everyone on the PGA Tour still loves Dustin Johnson, and people in the media center love Dustin Johnson. Um, I don't think it'll be much of an issue. Brooks is Brooks. Um, you know, even Cam Smith, he's... he's pretty chill. He was the only live guy to be brought in in the media center at the Masters. So obviously there's some, you know, kind of tempered, um, uh, you know, just kind of emotional expectation with him. But, you know, Taylor Gooch, for example, he's won twice on the live tour so far this year. Um, he was the one that said that, um, you know, the, the live atmosphere felt like a Ryder Cup, even though he's never played in a Ryder Cup. I, I think that if he, if he wins the championship, yeah, he's going he's gonna to pump his chest out you know, a lot. And it's going to be like, Oh my gosh, roll your eyes. Obviously if Phil does it, cause he's been so vocal about live and, and what they deserve on planet golf and et cetera, et cetera. So I think it kind of depends on, on who, who ends up winning. Um, uh, certainly some ammo in the chamber as it relates to the world ranking points and, and, you know, kind of quote taking live seriously. But I, I think that narrative has kind of been, you know, chucked along, uh, along the wayside a little bit too. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, it would not be great for the PGA of America with, with its CEO, you know, kind of being on the board of the uh, World Golf Ranking um, you know, establishment, whatever it may be. Um, so they're hoping, obviously, a PGA Tour guy ends up winning, but um, it's golf. You know, they're in the field for a reason. There's 156 guys out here, um, and we'll just kind of see where the, where the chips fall come Sunday. What should we make of the defending champion? Justin Thomas uh, stole one from Mito Pereira last year. Um, uh, How's his season been? What are the expectations for the defending champ? Does this course suit his game? You know, Justin Thomas has had a pretty bad season. (laughs) He just hasn't, hasn't been able to find, uh, you know, the, all the, all the things that he's needed, all the things that he's had uh, to find success over the last couple of years. You know, he was he was uh, in the media center a couple of days ago, and he was like, guys, if you asked me three weeks ago if I was in a slump, I would say, yeah, I would be in a slump. He thinks that he's turned things around, you know, a little bit. That's obviously not a big vote of confidence heading into a major. But, you know, this golf course is very, very similar to Southern Hills, uh, where he won last year. You know, he if you look at the pure number side of things, his game is built for a place like this. He mm-hmm. hits it long, he hits it straight. Uh, and you know, he's, he's an elite iron player, which you absolutely need to be. Um, I just think there's a lot of factors going on, uh, in Justin Thomas's game. And, and if he's only three weeks removed from being in a quote slump, his words, not mine, you know, this is not the kind of golf course where, uh, where you're going to find that he had the, the worst, worst draw, at the Masters, so yeah. that's certainly part of you know the reason why he missed the cut there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, just body of work kind of side of things. I, I don't think that this is going to be the week for for Justin Thomas. Not because his game isn't suited for this golf course, but you know, at this particular moment, I think there's too many things that he's working on to be able to put it all together to defend this major title. Uh, last one for you before you got to scoot, and I'll, I'll do the plug. Uh, Adam will join uh, Sam and I on the golf show Saturday morning, so make sure to tune in uh, for, for that there. Uh, normally, we can't ask you this at 7.50 the morning of a major because it's already started, but the Frost is paying dividends. Who's going <laughs> to win yes, this sir. thing? Give us your pick. Oh, man. Um, I've been kind of waffling back and forth about who I think is going to win, and I think I think Xander Schauffele is going to do it. And I say that because I say that because he's finally going to break through. There's only been one man that has finished in the top 15 in all four of the previous four majors, four majors in a row. And it's Xander. I think Xander's knocking on the door. Xander's proven that he, you know, has all the tools, certainly at this kind of golf course, you know, you need the short game. You need to scramble. You need to find fairways. He can do all that stuff. Uh, I think our man is due. And I think Xander Shoffley is going to be the one that finally uh, wins a major. I think it's, I think it's his time. The X-Man. Okay. You guys can go over that pick on the golf show this weekend. Uh, It's uh, it would be the breakthrough that he's been waiting for. Uh, I hope you're nestled up behind uh, or beside a heater, Adam, and we appreciate you coming on this morning. Uh, It's probably going to be a bit of a long day, a bit of a grind. So stay warm as much as you can. Thank you guys. Appreciate the time. That's Adam Stanley, Sportsnet's golf writer and analyst. Uh, let's give away some Blue Jays tickets before we go to the break. It's the unofficial start of summer with the Blue Jays May 2-4 weekend presented by Ryobi to celebrate giving away tickets to tomorrow's game versus the Baltimore Orioles. And hey, they win on weekends, so you might catch a you might catch a W if you win these tickets. To enter, text the code word GOSMAN to 590-590 right now. Again, it's GOSMAN to 590-590 for your chance to win. You do not want to miss this weekend at the ballpark because 15,000 entrants on Friday will be getting a Blue Jays mesh hat. That's the first 15,000. And the first 15,000 again on Saturday will be getting a Blue Jays pickleball paddle. If pickleball is your thing, you want to be going to the Blue Jays game on Saturday. Any plans for you other than watching the PGA Championship this weekend, Gunner? Nope. Rotting on my couch.
putting a nice butt groove in uh, because I am going to watch an obscene amount of PGA Championship uh, while chasing my child around the house and going, be quiet, I need to hear what they're saying about Rory. So, so yeah, an, that's pretty so much an, my weekend. It's an 8.50 official start or mm-hmm. restart, not a restart because they haven't started yet, due to the frost. Uh, you might miss just an hour. Then. Yeah, this is great. This I is guess, wonderful. I guess uh, a couple hours tomorrow morning as we have a show. Uh, but well, it sets up well for your that, Thursday. That implies that I might not have it on in front of me while we're doing the show. There are I televisions. Would. They're very distracting, though. I can't have them on. You can have the one behind me on if you like. I got a laptop. <laughs> I'm an industrious that's, that's man. True. I will find a way to watch this golf. You better believe it, okay? That is true. Any first-round leader thoughts? Because no, we I, do I'll, have I'll, a couple be honest, more minutes here. I'll be honest. I have no feel. The frost, the slow start, uh, the fact that the rough is going to be thick, but it's going to play different. Guys are just going to have no clue how to, and I understand the point of the frost really is to let the frost, but it's still going to be a little residual dew. It's going to be wet. I think there's going to be a lot of uncertainty out there from all the players. So I think, uh, you know, hey, you got to pick. I'm not going to tell you don't make it, but I think anybody with any confidence as to what's going to happen out there today, you just heard it from Stanley. Bit of a crapshoot. We have a big 8 a.m. hour, arguably the biggest. John Morosi, then Elliot Friedman, two major, major insiders. One that'll dish on the Blue Jays, the other that'll dish on everything that's happening in the MLSE boardrooms. Morosi and Friedman, next.